Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We have a guest speaker with us, and we hope that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. All right, this morning uh, I'm starting a new series um, that I, I like, and I get more response out of this series than any other. All right, it's called Ask It. We let you write the questions, and I do my best to answer them from, from the, uh, the, the uh, pulpit here. So let's ask it, answering questions about the Bible, life, uh, and faith. And uh, so you, you can do several things, you know, or it covers several things. The Bible, its origins, doctrines, and practices. That's, those can be questions, uh, or about our faith, uh, discipleship, problems you may be going through, questions about your church, our church, uh, relationships, or about culture, trends, politics, media, uh, issues of social justice, how they interact with faith. Nothing is off, off limits, okay? So you can ask anything. So there are cards uh, on the card pocket in front of you, and you can fill it out, drop it in, take it to guest services. Uh, you can do anonymously. You can sign your name if you want to. You can send me an email, briangctlh.org. And when you send it to me, even if you sign your name or not, I don't use any names up here. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to mention, uh, mention that to you. So I'm still taking questions and I got some good questions coming up. I mean, you guys really like, what do I think about prenuptial agreements? Who asked that question? All right, medical marijuana, got those questions, same-sex relationships, so you, you're, uh, you, you, got, you got some good thinking going there, and I'm going to do my best to answer those. So I do this because Jesus got some of his uh, best sermons from questions that, that people ask, so I think that there is a value uh, uh, to this, uh, so that's why I do it. So when I get the questions... I've already got a bunch, but I haven't made, I don't know who makes the final cut yet, so I'm still looking at those. But my criteria when I'm looking at these questions are, what would be of the most interest, information, and encouragement to the broadest audience? So I just, you know, sometimes I get questions that are particular uh, to certain families, so I try to answer those, you know, privately if if possible. So, uh, or if I get a lot of questions on one topic, I, I know that there's some interest out there, so I try to answer that. Sometimes I have a biblical answer, sometimes I don't. I just give an opinion, which I will do that on one of the questions this morning. I'll just kind of give you my my thinking, my best, uh, best opinion from that. So I learn a lot from the series, and I have people that go, hey, I like this. Somebody said, hey, I'm out of town this week, but I will be listening live. So, uh, so all right, all right. So, uh, normally, I start off to get myself in the flow of this series, start off with a few little easy softball questions. I'm not doing that today, all right? Are you ready? Question number one. We read a lot in the Bible about concubines and multiple wives. What is with that? That's a good question. What is with that? So you see this mentioned in the Old Testament a good bit about, you know, multiple wives and 
concubines and all of that. So I, I want to I touch it because it, it lets me, uh, it lets me uh, talk about something else as well. So we understand the concept of multiple wives, all right? But a concubine, I'm going to give a little definition to that because it's a little, a little different context than we normally have or understanding. So a concubine was a woman acquired by a man as a secondary wife to provide a male heir in case of a barren wife, to provide more children to enhance the family's workforce and wealth, and to satisfy the man's sexual desires. Now, you knew that last one was coming, didn't you? All right. I'm going to tell you something you may already know about men. They are horrible human beings. I want you to know that. They are terrible. All right. So, a woman's legal status as a concubine in the Old Testament uh, was higher than a slave, but lower than a wife. Concubines were entitled to proper food and clothing, but could not get a bill of divorce like a wife could. A concubine's children uh, were legitimate, but they were not legally entitled uh, to an inheritance. So that kind of gives you a little context to that. Now, the practice of concubines, multiple wives, was not exclusive to the Hebrews, all right, but it was practiced by other tribes and nations as, as well. So sometimes this question is framed in a way as to make some kind of statement about the, uh, the morals, kind of questioning the morals of the Hebrews, God's, God's chosen people, but it was, this practice was not exclusive to them. It was just part of, it was just part of culture, uh, uh, unfortunately, at that that particular time. So the Lord kind of starts this conversation. We know this is an unusual arrangement because we cross-reference that with what we know from Genesis 2 about marriage and relationships that I want to read this morning, Genesis 2, uh, 22 through 25. Uh, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one man's ribs, one man's ribs, and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And this is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So we see the very clear intention of God in the Scripture at the very beginning. One man, one woman for a lifetime. So this was God's intent. But very early on, after the fall of Adam and Eve, everything, the wheels started coming off in every way, but also this way as well. You saw Seth, uh, Adam's son, took, you know, had multiple wives. We look further in, in the, the Old Testament with Abraham and even Jacob. They had multiple wives and concubines. So this was kind of what started as some clarity in Genesis 2, just... You know, it wasn't every family, you know, so it was, you know, it was not common, but it was not uncommon. So this was occurring a lot in Genesis and, and, and in Exodus as well. And then the Lord lays the marker down in Exodus 20 again 
you shall not commit adultery. So now he's defining these kind of things, not as just, you know, a, a moment of convenience, but now he's, he's defining it as sin. It's not God's plan. He's pulling them back to Genesis 2. He's, he's attaching a sinful act to this expansion of, 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 of what he had already spoken. So in, in, in Exodus 20, it comes back. There's some clarity to that. It's given, written in tablets by God. It's communicated. People know that. You, you see it, you still see it, but it's not as frequent. But then when we get to, you know, we get to First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, we see that David... God's, you know, a man after God's own heart, he had an eye for the ladies, all right? He's got eight wives, eight wives. His son, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, had 700 wives and 300 concubines, okay? I don't think he was very wise. <laughs> I don't, all right? So you see this, you know, and, and, and I will say, while it's... Mentioned less frequently as the Old Testament progresses. Some people say the, the framing of this question is that, you know, that these positions were only kind of for the, the rich or those in certain positions. Now, I want to say, too, that when I look at this topic and I read these passages, today we have a sensitivity of trafficking slavery, forced marriage. So when I look at those passages, I'm looking at those kind of in, in the light of the, what, the way we live now. And I'm, you know, it makes me ask questions, you know, about that. Like when I gave you the definition about a concubine, it said it was a secondary wife acquired by a man. So, you know, kind of my antennas went up, you know, just a little bit, you know, how consensual was this, you know, so the appropriateness of, of this. So that's, you know, that's just one thought that I had. And then also, like, this practice, even though it's uncommon, could have been more of an act of benevolence than we think. Now, we don't know exactly how this worked. You know, it could have been as ugly as we think. It's forced, you know, uh, they can't leave. It's some form of slavery. It could have been that. But also... It could have been, you know, more benevolent than we think. And I'll give you this example. You know, we're familiar in the Old Testament with the term kinsman redeemer. Okay, so like if you, if you were a husband and you had a family and your, brother's, uh, your brother passed away, then legally you could take that family and it became part of yours. It would kind of be your wife. Now, the reason for that was there was no social protection out there. There was no legal, you know, legal uh, acknowledgement or protection for women and families at that point. They were just kind of on their own. So it was more of an act of benevolence, bringing them in so that they could be cared for. It would honor your brother. You know, you're, you're taking care of his family. Now, what happened on Friday nights after 10 o'clock in tent one and two? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. But I'm just saying there, there may, even though it, it doesn't look good, there may have been incidences or it may have, could have lended itself to more benevolence than, you know, maybe we, you know, maybe we think. Now, let me mention this. 
too, because when you read this in the Old Testament, I think this is important. So just because something is not condemned in the scriptures every time it is mentioned does not mean that it was it was approved. Okay, so that's you see that. You know, throughout the writing of the New Testament, you see violent acts, you know, by the people of God sometimes, and you don't see condemnation, or you see these mentions of concubines, multiple wives of the people of God. I just want to say, just because it is not condemned every time that it's mentioned doesn't mean that it wasn't wrong, okay? We go back to Exodus 20. And that defines it as wrong. So sometimes you read and you don't see an immediate judgment from the Lord or a judgment from a prophet. That doesn't mean that they're skating by. Okay, what God spoke, God speaks, and I'll say that today. If your life wanders in some way and you don't sense or feel an immediate judgment or, or justice in your life, it doesn't mean that God's word has changed. Okay, it's still a sin. So it's still a sin regardless of whether we it's identified every time that we every time that we read that so as we progress through the old testament we come to jesus and jesus resets the boundaries on this again all right so even though it's less frequent in the old testament he comes back in matthew 19 and he reframes this again look at this matthew 19 and 4 he says haven't you read he goes takes them straight back to genesis reminds them this is what was already written haven't you read this is god's word from the old testament and then he begins to quote word for word out of Genesis. He's resetting this in the New Testament context that in the beginning the creator made them male and female and said for this reason will a man leave his father and his mother that they be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined let no one separate. So he comes back again and he resets the boundaries of of marriage and relationships, one man, one woman, you know, for a lifetime. So he, 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 uh, he reminds us of the beauty and, and practicality of the, the relationship that God has created. So he speaks again to what we know as polygamy. Multiple wives, okay, anything beyond your spouse. He said, that is wrong, it's out, and I just want to say, and you know, we have examples in our nation's history and even today where people practice polygamy. And it is a social disaster filled with jealousy, unmet needs from the, the wives. You know, you never see polygamy the other way around. You know, like a wife, she got six husbands. You never see it that way. It's always the other way, always the other way around. So it's, you know, it's, it's a social disaster. Also, it speaks today, and I think it's important, for polyamory, which is a new thing that's coming where, like, three men can marry two women and it be considered a, you know, be considered a relationship. And, and some, some states give, you know, a common law status to these, to these unusual relationships. And I'm telling you, listen to me. 
once you change the definition of Genesis 2, Exodus 20, and, and Matthew 19, once you change the definitions and you start tinkering with the boundaries, there's no telling where this can wind up. And there's no telling the social disaster that we are already seeing and are going to see even more in the future because we have tinkered with and now we have legal protections for relationships, all, you know, all, all you know, every, every relationship now can be kind of legally recognized. So, to answer the question, yes, concubines and multiple wives are acknowledged in the Scripture, but never considered a co-equal of the Genesis 2 marriage account or affirmed in any way. All right? If you're married, stay with the one you love. Okay, I think that's a song quote as well. So, uh, all right, for, that's the first question. Second question. Second question. Uh, can people who have died and returned to life have visions or experiences of heaven? Can people who have died and returned back to life have visions and experiences of heaven? And we've seen that, you know, books, movies, those kind of things. So are those things kind of real? So I'll, I'll come to that in just a second. But let me, let me talk about heaven for a moment because I kind of want to frame kind of what the, uh, the boundary is on that. So from the very earliest of time... All right, people believe in an afterlife. They've always believed that there's something out there after we die. When they started opening the tombs of the pharaohs, they noticed there was lots of furniture, all kinds of things in the burial chamber because the belief was that what you were buried with, you can transport to heaven with you, okay? They even found the skeletons of cats in the burial chambers, all right? Because the pharaohs are trying to sneak a cat into heaven. <laughs> Which, let me just say, would not be heaven if there's cats there. <laughs> oh, I'm preaching this morning. <laughs> it wouldn't be heaven. It'd be the complete opposite. <laughs> Hair floating all around. Jeez. But most people, cultures, believe in an afterlife. My, my first year in college, we're taking sociology, I underlined it because it said almost every early civilization believed in something, and it wasn't even Christian. There's just this belief in people's hearts that there's something later. So, uh, all religions have great diversity in it, but many of them have something in common. That'd be Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, even people who are atheists. You know, I saw the, the funeral of an actress that never has gone to church, and you see actors and actresses who were there, and they're going, hey, we'll see her. You know, we'll see her one day. And I'm like, you know, you don't even believe in God. But there's, so there's this, just this common belief of people that, that there's something after this life. There's something after this life. Now, the, New the Old Testament gives us a little glimpse of this, but the New Testament speaks about it a little more. So here's what Jesus says about the afterlife in John chapter 14. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am going. You know the, the way to the place where I am going. Okay, so... He speaks, and there's not like a book about heaven, but there are certain hints throughout the New Testament about it, and this is one. So just quickly, what, what are some things that we know about heaven that we can cross-reference when people have these kind of visions and dreams, those kind of things? So a, a few things really quick. Number one, there's a, there's a point in time that we all stand before God and we're judged for our life on this earth, okay? There's a time that everybody... All your works are done, you breathe your last breath, and you stand before God, and you have to give an account of how you lived your life, what you did with your sins. What, how, how did you, how did you, uh, you know, what answer did you have for your sinfulness? What did, what did you do with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross? What did you do with that? You know, and, and if your answer to that question when you stand before the Lord is, you know, well, I did a lot of benevolent acts. I was very kind to the poor. I gave money to charities or I attended church or my family. I was raised in a Christian family. Those questions may be good to you, but they are going to be insufficient on judgment day. It's not going to answer. It's not, it's not going to make it. It's about... Have you accepted the person of Jesus in your life and been forgiven of your sin and lived your life for him? That's the right answer. Anything that has to do with money or charity or acts, that's going to fall short. Revelation 20 defines this for us a little bit. When John said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done in the book. So, we live in an era now that you have a second chance. You can go back and ask forgiveness and make restitution. But there is a day coming that there is a period at the end of the sentence of your life and you are judged for what you have done and there is no appeal. There is no second chance. There's a point when there is a sense of finality for how you've lived your life and then you have to answer to God and he calls it the book of life, whether your name is written in the book of life or not. So some of you need to think about that moment. What do you say? What is your answer when you stand before God and you've got to give an answer for how you've lived your life? How, you know, how are you, how have you dealt with your sin issue? What have you done with the message of Jesus in your life? Some of you need to wrestle with that, you know, you need, to, you need to think about your answer. And if it's anything, if you're trusting on anything, you know, money or deeds or a good person, then your answer is going to be ins insufficient. So, so that's the first part about heaven, that there's a gateway of judgment that we go, you know, that we go through. Now, we know this. We receive a new home. We receive a new home. We used to sing, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. You remember that song? Remember that song? Okay. Some of you know what I'm talking about. 
will enter, will get a new earthly home prepared by the Lord. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's been working on this, and it's going to be great. So we get a new home. Now, let me just qualify that just a little bit because we've always sung, I got my mansion over the hilltop. I don't think that's the case from what Jesus said. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. I don't think we're getting mansion. It looks like more of an apartment complex <laughs> that we'll be living side by side. Don't be making noise after 11 when you're close to my place. All right? So we receive a new home. We receive a new body. We receive a new body. Can anybody say praise God for that? Amen. Amen. We wake up every morning and rip off the CPAP. You got to have four ibuprofen and black coffee before you can even get going in the morning. You get out of bed, your bones pop and crack like a fireworks show. Good night. Can't wait. Can't wait for that new day. But I'm telling you, when we pass away, there's a new body that, that we get. Paul says that we lived in an earthly tent when it's destroyed. Now we have an eternal house not build, built by human hands. So we get, this, we get this glorified body, a real, tangible, heavenly body that we, no more headaches, no more, none of that that we go through anymore. It's done. It's a, it's a new and glorious body. We know we get that. We also will be reunited with our loved ones. Won't that be great? How many of you got somebody over there just waiting on you? Won't that be great? I, I, can, I feel like there's enough scriptures that we can say for sure that, that we're going to meet our loved ones in heaven. You can see at the transfiguration, you know, Moses and Elijah were, were identified. In the book of Revelation, it talks about... Uh, noticing people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. So there's a certain identity that is, that is given. So I think we're going to see them. I think it's going to be great. I think the, the reunion of that morning is going to be unspeakable. Now, I'm thinking also, and it might be a little shock to some people who are already over there, that you made it. All right? Now, you're going to be able to tell what people think about you by when they see you in heaven. So, for instance, Todd White, his family goes, Todd, you made it. Oh, my goodness. Everybody, Todd made it. You'll know in that moment what they thought about you when they left. All right? But it's going to be great. We're going to see loved ones. And we're going to see every nation, tribe, and tongue, every skin color singing praises unto God. That's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. We get a new home. We get a new body. We're going to see our relatives, you know, see people that have gone on before. But the best part of that is that we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to see him. We're going to see him face to face. You know, we're going to be walking into heaven and all of a sudden, you're going to hear this song that's coming from this angelic choir that says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing, see the elders take their crowns and they're going to 
throw it at the feet of Jesus. We're going we're gonna to witness that. And then we're going to witness when the revelation says that he's going to wipe all tears from their eyes. And there'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning because the old things have passed away. And then he said, behold, I made all things new and no longer will there be any curse anymore. So that <clears throat> curse of sin that we've always carried around will be done away with. There'll be no more sickness and disease or crying or death or starving kids or poverty or cancer. It's all gone away in that moment. Amen. Amen. But that's not the best part. Revelation 22 4 says, then they'll see his face. We live by faith now. We think Jesus is on the chosen. The same actor on the chosen was in Jesus' revolution. It was throwing me off. All right? Because we live by faith. And this, and this individual, but there's a day, <clears throat> there's a day that we don't live by faith anymore. There's a day that that is over with. There's a day that we see Jesus' face and we, we behold the glory, uh, behold his glory that we've sung about and that we've worshiped about. And then we will witness what was written in the New Testament that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's going to be great. That is going to be great. Heaven's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. All right. Now, let me just, I want to kind of define that a little bit because the question was, can people who have died and returned to life have visions and experiences of heaven? Okay, so I wanted to kind of frame what that is because we need to kind of, and let me say, that explanation is, is more deeper than I took the time for this morning, but you got to have some kind of understanding to cross-reference, you know, if it's you know, maybe legitimate or not. So I would say, can people who have died, returned to life, have visions and experiences of heaven? I would say, I assume that it could be possible, okay? I wouldn't definitively rule it out because we've seen people in the scriptures that have had kind of visions, those, those kind of things. So I, I wouldn't rule it out, but, you know, I, I just say, I assume that it, that it could be possible. Now, let me say this, all right, their experiences, and you've books, movies, and testimonies, while interesting, should not change our beliefs at all on what we, what the Bible teaches us about judgment, heaven, and the afterlife, okay? If you want to read it to be curious you know, you, that, that's fine. I, one of the first books I got when I became a new believer was a man that was having visions from angels. Okay, I don't know why that, I, I don't know why that was my first book. I couldn't sleep at night. I was so scared. All right, it just scared me. So I want to say these things, they may occur. I don't know definitively that they don't. But I do want to say it should never change our opinion on that of what the Bible says. So if someone, you know, says something, number one, if it's, it's, it's different like judgment, you know, he's much more liberal at judgment, well, you might need to, you know, uh, kind of mark that in your mind. So just keep that in mind. What we know about heaven comes from this book, and there's nothing else that we, that we add to it, okay? So, all right, last question, last question for today. 
Why pray? Does praying for something really affect the outcome? For example, can prayer really change something like someone's earthly healing or not? Okay? Really good question. Really good question. Because it balances, it brings, it brings to life for you and I the sovereign, sovereign plan of God for our life. But also the role of faith and prayer as well. And how they, you know, how, the, how they work together. How they're in relation with each other. So let me give some definition to the two. Okay, so first of all, God's sovereign will for our life. We are living out God's plan and purposes for our lives in a way that brings glory to God and Christ-likeness to us. Jeremiah 29 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. All right, Psalms, he talks about your knit in your mother's womb, that your days are ordained before the Lord. So it is very clear to us that in our creation, God already has a plan and a specific design for your life. You're not a product of randomness at all. There is something that is already spoken, ordered, and ordained for your life before you ever take your first breath. Now, here's the deal. We don't always know that. We don't always know God's defined, specific, ordained plan for us as as we are walking through life. Okay, so we don't always know that, but definitely the Lord has put certain things in our life specifically for you and I. Let me give you an example. In Genesis, we read about Joseph, okay? We see the ups and downs that come from Joseph's life, all right? So he's sold into slavery, put in the pit, he's sold into slavery. We know the story. He's bought, you know, he's taken, uh, sold again, and he winds up working in Potiphar's household. He does very well, and then he's accused of something that he didn't do, and he goes to jail for seven years for rape, a crime that he did not commit. Seven long years, he is in Jail. How many times do you think he cried out to the Lord to be set free? All right. How many times over those, especially when you're innocent? All right. But we know the story. We know the story because it's not too far in the future that Joseph finds himself, for lack of a better term, he's the, he's the vice president of Egypt. He goes from the prison to this palace where he has great authority in all the affairs of Egypt, you know, especially through the famine that they are experiencing. Now, as we look back and read Joseph's life, we understand that that was God's plan for Joseph. Okay? We see now all of this up all these ups and downs that were happening was so that Joseph could wind up where he was with the heart of compassion that he had to do the work of God, you know, that that God had ordained for him, okay? Even in the midst, I'm certain, 
of prayer that he offered, Lord, I'm innocent. Lord, help me here. God said, you know what? Okay, I get it. But I got, I got something else for you. I got something else for you. So, God's will, there's certain things that are ordained in our life that, that, that uh, bring glory to God and bring Christ-likeness to us. So, that's the kind of how the sovereign will of God's plan works in our life. So, what about prayer and faith? So, let's talk about that. Talk about that for a moment. Prayer is talking to and listening to God through worship, thanksgiving, confession, intercession, and petition. Prayer aligns us with the will of God in the heart of Jesus. Prayer has the potential to change our circumstances and our world. Okay? Why does God's will and plan not always happen in the world or in my life? Good, good question. Number one, our actions and behavior sometimes. All right, sometimes we do stupid things. We make poor choices that take us far from God's plan for our life or the actions and behaviors of others. Sometimes people do things, their actions, their behaviors toward us take us far from God's design and plan for our life. Something else. How about the enemy? We forget that sometimes. Well, I just point fingers at the Lord, but we have the enemy that wars against our soul and he wars against what is ordained in our life happening. Jesus said, the thief comes to... Look at my congregation. It's like a JBQ alumni association out here. So, all right. Thief come. Remember that. Still kill and destroy. Satan walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he... We are on fire this morning. This side didn't know it, but over here, man, they knew it. They knew it. Okay, so you've got the enemy of your soul who's working against the plan and purpose of God as well. And then I'm going to say there are random circumstances that happen in people's life. For instance, you're working for a company, they go out of business, you lose your job. I don't know that that's... God's will or that's attack of Satan. Just sometimes there are, there are certain things that happen, you know, in our lives kind of random. So those things, those, those things can kind of take you, take you out of God's plan and purpose and design. So we're looking at the two things, God's sovereign will versus prayer and faith. God's sovereign will says, why pray? Just let God's will happen. Let his plan emerge. Epedicus, religious philosopher from the first century, taught us that we should not ask that events happen as we want. We should instead want them to happen as they occur. A wise divine God governs all things, so what, uh, what may seem to be trouble is really parts of God's divine plan. He said, don't pray. Whatever happens, that's the Lord's will, okay? So that's one thought. There's the other thought. Let's pray and bring things into alignment with God's plan and purpose, okay? Now, that's where I'm going to land this morning. And I'm going to talk to you about the, the, the relation between both of those. So why pray? Respond to the attacks of the enemy 
always warring against our life, to seek wisdom and direction for my life when I do not know what God's revealed plan and purpose is for me to change troubling circumstances when there is sickness and disease in my life for my family, friends and family that don't know the Lord. There's work out there. There's work out there when, when we pray. So when I don't get an answer to a prayer, should I assume it's part of God's sovereign plan for my life? Not necessarily. Now, we see in Joseph's life, it really didn't matter the prayer in the prison because God had ordained something else for him. Everybody kind of understands that, okay? But then you look in the book of Acts, Peter's in prison. And he prays and he gets a miracle. Because God's will is not always working in my life. Sometimes i got to pray to bring things back into alignment of God's, God's plan and purpose. So if, I, if I'm praying and I don't see an answer, should I assume that it's God's sovereign plan for my life? Not necessarily, because it could be, could be something else, but it could be that it's not God's timing yet. Sometimes there's a timing issue with the Lord that I don't always understand God's timing. I say this respectfully, but God is very slow. I tell the Lord, and I just remind him humorously, Lord, you live forever. I don't. I'm, I'm in a hurry here. You're Alpha and Omega. I'm a clock's ticking here. I'm, it, cannot, it could be that it's not God's timing. The fullness of God's timing is not worked out in your life. It could be, listen to me, it could be a lack of faith, all right? He didn't do any many, many miracles because of their lack of faith, which is amazing because people came to hear him. They came to hear the teacher, so they stood ceremonially, but they did not come with faith. So faith is not just an acknowledgement that Jesus lived or a generic belief that he can heal. It is an active, vibrant Faith, so he couldn't do anything because of their faith. That could be something. Or maybe not enough time or intense prayer has occurred. Luke 18, Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So maybe the intensity of my prayer is lacking. Or the, the length of time that I'm praying over this, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it hasn't been intense, maybe there hasn't been enough Prayer, Jesus said that is a possibility as he told that particular, that particular parable. So, so here, here's what I want to say this morning. We are invited to pray and taught to pray by Jesus. Mark 11, 22 and 23. Very important here in this sovereign work in prayer and faith uh, as we're trying to figure that out. He said, have faith in God, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it does not, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you receive, and it shall be yours. Okay? I mean, there, there's some clarity to that. Now, I want to say, like, 
In my formative years of ministry, I have been fortunate to always be part of a praying church. Maybe it was just the church of a few generations before or what, but I've always been fortunate to, to, to be attending bodies of believers that always prayed and they sought God and they poured their heart out in prayer, okay? And I, 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 believe, I believe that today, you know, like, like years ago, I mean, we did, you know, we prayed, but we did prayer requests just a little different than we do today. Do you remember years ago when people would raise their hand and give prayer requests from the floor? You remember that? Worst experience of my life, all right? I was always the staff person who had to take the pen and write down the prayer requests that people were giving from the floor, okay? Now, people couldn't just say, pray for my aunt, she's sick, they got to give the full doctor's diagnosis. Well, my aunt, she's got a genetic gastrointestinal disorder with bloating and nausea and hallucinations. And I'm supposed to be writing that down. I can't even spell gastroenteritis. Yeah, I can't even spell it. I just write down aunt sick. <laughs> Move on. One time at Pleasant Grove Assembly, I'm doing my thing. <laughs> Some of you remember these. So a lady stands, she said, hey, my neighbor had a single car accident and had to have a pint of blood. Uh, you know, she had to get a pint of blood. Okay, got it, got it, got it. The next lady stands up, she said, well, my aunt had a two-car accident and had to get two pints of blood. <laughs> Are you serious? Is this going to be a competition? Who's got the worst one? I just cut it right off at that, you know, at that point. But I want to tell you, I've always been a part of church bodies that prayed and they believed, okay? And I want to tell you, I don't want anything different from this church, okay? We're not going to be confused by the, the sovereign plan and God's will. I'll talk about that. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But here's what, here's what Jesus said. Have faith in God and speak to that mountain. Say to that mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. And if you've got the faith in your heart, then it shall be done. And whatever you ask for in prayer, you believe that you receive it, it will be yours. All right? All right? So, this morning... We're going to speak to mountains, all right? We're not, we don't have to give kind of theological analysis about what is this, what is this. He just said, speak to the mountain. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Brent, worship team, you can come. And I just want to say to some of you this morning, you have had these mountains in your life so long that you don't even recognize them or notice them anymore. You've had these mountains in your life that you've learned to navigate around, learn to tolerate. He didn't say navigate around them, learn to live with it. He said speak to it and believe that I'm going to remove that out of your particular life. So if I've got a mountain in my life, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe. I'm going to hope. I'm going to confess. I'm going to decree. I'm going to declare with everything that's in my heart that that mountain is going to be removed.
Well, what about God's sovereign plan? There's a way that you handle this. And we see it. We see Jesus balance the two of these things in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, but not as I will, but as you will. He's balancing faith and the miraculous belief in God's delivering power with the fact that there may be something else that God is doing of greater glory. Got it? So he's balancing, he's balancing the two. So to answer the question about prayer and God's sovereignty, it's not always something that we know with clarity. We acknowledge God's plan and design for our life. There are certain things that God has ordained for my life that is different from your life. That will There may be higher mountains, lower valleys, more frequent, less frequent. We acknowledge God's plan and design for our life. When he said, I created you before you were born, you know, and I had a plan for you, he means that. We might not always know or understand God's plan or design for our life. There are times that we're facing things we're, we're, we're like Joseph. Am I praying for a miracle? You know, or, or like Peter, I'm praying for a miracle. We, we don't always know those things. But we don't have to default just to theological analysis. He just said pray. So until we know God's plan and God's design, we pray and believe. We pray with faith and we pray with intensity and we stand on the word that Jesus gave us. Say to that mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. And he said, it shall be done. All right? Here's what we do. We cloak every prayer with, Lord, I'm yours. I don't know your will. I don't know your way. So I submit to whatever, this is kind of what Jesus did. I submit to whatever your will is. But, Lord, I'm going to pray and believe. I'm going to pray and believe. I'm going to stand. I'm going to speak. I'm going to decree. I'm going to declare. Okay? So we always lean in to prayer and faith and miracles and, 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 and belief that the Lord can do something miraculous in our lives. Okay? All right. So I want you to stand. I want you to stand. Because this morning, we're going to speak to mountains. We're going to speak to mountains this morning. We're going we're to say to them, be removed and cast into the sea. We're going to default to prayer and faith. We're just going to, I felt it when we walked in here this morning. I felt, I told you, I felt faith and expectation here. And I feel it now. Feel like some of you are going to speak to a mountain this morning. You're going to see that, see that thing move. We're just going to stand on God's word. We're just going to stand on the promise of Jesus. I don't know anything else to do than just trust Jesus' word if there are mountains in our lives. So if you need to speak to a mountain this morning, whatever it is, I want you to come stand across the front. I want you to come stand across the front this morning. We're going to have a prayer meeting this morning. We're going to do old school prayer meeting this morning. We're going to say to mountains, be thou removed. Come stand across the front. Come stand across the front. We're going to pray this morning. We're going to believe. We're going to speak. I don't know anything else to do. 
I don't know anything else to do than just stand on Jesus' word. Just trust Jesus' word this morning. Come across the building. Stand. Come, we're going to speak. We're going to do this in just a moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to do this prayer across the building and at the altar this morning. All right? We're going to surrender ourselves to God's plan. Okay? We're going to realize there may be something else at work. And we're just going to surrender ourselves to that. And then we're going to come behind that and we're going to speak to mountains. You ready? So let's do a, a, a prayer of surrender to God's will because there may be things God's doing that I don't even know. All right? We're going to balance both of these. So, Lord, we come before you today. And, Lord, we acknowledge that there may be things in our lives that are going on, Lord, that we don't always know your full will. So, Lord, we submit ourselves to your plan and your purpose. Lord, whatever you need to do to bring glory to God and to bring character development and Christ-likeness in my life, do it. Lord, you tell us to pray for your will in the Lord's Prayer, and we do that. We submit ourselves to the plans of the Lord, the design of the Lord, the purpose of the Lord. We surrender ourselves to that, even though we may not even understand that, like it, or agree with it. Lord, we surrender to it this morning. So, Lord, we pray like Jesus prayed. Nevertheless, your will. But, Lord, you also tell us to speak to mountains this morning. And we're going to do that. You tell us to have faith in our heart. Tell us to have faith in our heart. I don't want you just to do this ceremonially. I don't want you just to repeat words that I'm repeating. I want you to let faith rise up in your heart today. He said, if you have faith, say to the mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. And if you believe and don't have doubt in your heart, it shall be done for whatever we pray. If we pray and we have faith, it shall be done. So, Lord, we speak to that mountain. I want you to speak to your mountain this morning. Speak to your mountain this morning. Say, get out of here. You've been in my life too long. I've learned to cope with you. I'm not supposed to cope with my mountain. I'm supposed to speak to my mountain this morning. I want you to do that this morning. I want you to speak to that mountain today. Faith in your heart that we serve a God of miracles that can, that can make crooked places straight. Oh, God, we praise you. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, speak to that mountain this morning. Some intensity and faith in your heart. It's not ceremonially this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Declare it. Decree it. Shout it. Oh, shut up. Let faith rise in your heart. We don't serve a dead God this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Faith and hope and expectation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, pray that through. Pray that through. Speak to that mountain. Speak to that mountain this morning. Speak to that mountain this morning. 
Let faith rise in your heart today. We're not just standing because I've asked you. We're extending faith this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, I want to, I just feel this prayer in my heart this morning. Lord, Lord, we're speaking to mountains today. We're speaking to mountains. So, Lord, I speak to every mountain of sickness and disease. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, you tell us to do this. I pray across this building, Lord, that the healing power of Jesus would just come upon people in sickness that, and they're having trouble, Lord, in their body, Lord. We're praying that their bodies would just be aligned with the word of the Lord. This morning, I pray for everyone, Lord, that is struggling, Lord. I pray for the power of the living God, the healing virtue of Jesus, Lord. And we just say be healed in the name of Jesus, Lord. I pray. I pray the virtue of healing, Lord. The warm oil of healing, Lord, would touch people's hearts and lives this morning. Oh God, we speak to the mountain of sickness and disease specifically this morning. By your stripes we're healed, Lord. We pray over that today. Lord, I pray for those with depression this morning and anxiety this morning. And Lord, it's a mountain they deal with all the time I pray in the name of Jesus Lord with faith in our heart we say into that mountain be thou removed I pray healing come mind heart emotions and body today we say to that mountain Lord we pray for those with impossible situations Lord they're not sure what to do Lord we pray that you would make the crooked places straight this morning Lord you are going to with clarity they're going to know your plan and your purpose this morning with your peace this morning Lord I pray God we speak to those mountains today we stand in faith believing Lord we don't know anything else to do than just to trust you thank you Lord across the building would you raise your hands and magnify give him praise with your voice this morning across the building would you praise him today from the depths of your heart Worship him. Give him praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We worship you this morning. We worship you this morning, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, with a shout of your voice, would you just give praise to God this morning? Would you just praise him this morning? Thank you, Lord. 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 So this week we speak to mountains. We don't have to do theological analysis. We lean in and we pray and we believe. And I just want to encourage you to, son, that see that mountain there forever. You keep speaking. You keep hoping. You keep shouting to that mountain. You summon every ounce of faith that you've got and speak and declare it and decree it. And we're going to stand on Jesus' promise today. We're going to do that. Lord, we worship you today. We worship you today, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We serve a miracle-working God. We do. We do. Give him praise this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.